transparent for a reason. Do you see that? It's clear. <laughs> well, my goal today is simple, is to give you a, a it could be a four-part series, but it's going to be brief. I want to give you a biblical framework for the necessity for leadership within the family of God. A biblical framework for the reason why we need leaders within the family of God. Everyone say that. We need leaders. And that was pretty weak. We need leaders. And here's the cool thing is that all of us can go to the next level of becoming leaders ourselves. So it's not just staff people. You hear me? It's not just people who do it as a vocation or a career, that God wants all of us to grow in our capacity to become people who are worth following. People who have influence and don't influence for the negative or for the destructive or for the, the bad, but who influence for the glory and honor of King Jesus, that all of us can grow as leaders today. And we all said amen. So if you have your scriptures, we're just gonna work through a couple verses um, through the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four. If you've got a Bible or a smartphone, um, you, can, you can download an app, version. I use a, an app called Takarta for all my devotions for about seven years. It's my favorite. I know Olive Tree is one of them as well. I'm just saying everyone can have access to scripture right here in this room, right now. It's amazing, the, an unprecedented day in which we live. A little bit of context, we're going to jump right into chapter 4. Ephesians is one of my favorite books that I've lived with for many, many years. In chapter 1, I can summarize it as this. Paul is caught up in the glories and the wonder of all that Jesus has made available in and through the cross. He talks about the blood that cleanses, the spirit that adopts, and the spirit that seals us. And that when he seals us, there's not nothing nobody can do to grab us out of the loving embrace of a heavenly father. He goes on to pray that we would know this love, not in theory, but a love that would grip and transform everything about our lives. That's the prayer he writes in verse 17 through 23. And he finishes chapter 1 with this that the ascended, reigning and ruling Christ has filled the earth through his church. That the glory, the fullness of Christ that he wants to see released on the earth is not some metaphysical, unembodied reality, but it's a very thick and tangible reality that the body of Christ would become the fullness of Christ on the earth. That's how he ends chapter one. Chapter two, he ramps it up. You were dead in your sins and your transgressions, but he's made us alive through his mercy and because of his love through Christ Jesus. And verse six, that he raises us up with Christ, that even as we deserve death because of the wrath that was rightfully upon us for our rebellion and sin, that the mercy and grace of God rips us from our rebellion and seats us in the place of princes and princesses in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. You can just read it yourself, verse 6 and 7. He goes on to say the famous, most all of us have heard, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And then he rolls on into verse 11, and he goes through the end of the chapter, verse 11, talking about how the gospel breaks through multi-generations and ethnicities and Jew and Gentile, and that through the gospel, God is creating one large global family through the good news that Jesus has come to bring on the earth. And so he says things like this in verse 16 and 17, that through the cross, the hostility that, that dwelt amongst uh, Jew, Gentile, nations, has now, through the cross, God is creating a new humanity of those who would know and follow Jesus. 
That's chapter two. It's a pretty good summary. Read it later today. Chapter three, he talks about his calling, that I was a loser, I was a blasphemer, I was a murderer, but because God marked me by his grace, he's turned that zeal and passion to snuff out Christianity, now for a zeal and passion to spread Christianity in all the earth. This is Ephesians chapter three, and he ends Ephesians chapter three with the dynamic prayer. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner man. And I pray that you would have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you would be filled to all the fullness of the measure of Christ. This dynamic prayer. And we finally get to chapter four, brief summary. And he starts getting practical. How many are thankful for the practical parts of scripture? I love the dynamics of redemption and the cross. I mean, that's my, that is as practical as it gets for the record. But then he, he switches gears in chapter four and he begins to say, okay, all that Christ has done, chapter one, and all that Christ and his cross has done in regards to creating a new global multi-ethnic family through the gospel, and all that he's doing in and through me as a herald of this good news all over the earth, chapter four, he starts saying, okay, this is going to have to work its way into your tangible everyday relationships with one another. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you and me, Jack, or Jill, or whoever you are. And so he rolls and he says in in, in chapter four, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I want everyone to say with me, I have a calling. But the bummer of saying I have a calling is it misses the thrust of this text. Really, it's we have a calling. Say it with me. We have a calling. And here's the word picture of that word worthy. It's this. It's in, in, in the original language. It's this idea of a scale tipping. And here's what Paul is saying. All that Christ has done, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, he says all of that as you profess to believe in Jesus, it has to begin to work itself out in your real life in the practice of your faith. Everyone say practice of your faith. And so what he's saying is, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. He's saying that high and holy calling to know and love Jesus, to be a disciple who's equipped to turn around and make other disciples. That calling that all of us share, that's all of us. His desire is that the profession would begin to Balance out with the actual practice of our faith. Are you tracking with me? That's the word, the idea of living a life worthy. It ain't works righteousness and strive harder. No, it's living into together, embodying that calling in the real everyday stuff of life. If you understand, say amen. Listen, we have a high and upward holy calling. How many know that in Christ Jesus? There is not a higher calling this side or any side of eternity but to know and to follow Jesus. Are you kidding me? Turn to your neighbor and say, there's nothing higher you and I are called to than to know Jesus. That's a high and holy calling. And so here's, here's a phenomenal question. How do we fulfill and how do we tip the scale to begin to embody and practice that high and holy calling? How many, what do you think of when you think of high and holy and heavenly? You think up, right? Here's what he does. He pulls the rug out of us. He says, the way to fulfill that calling, verse two. Oh, you gotta clear it. Are you up there, Justin? Clear the background, I'm sorry. He says this. 
the way to get there and to balance the scales, it's not by, get out of my way, I'm trying to get my calling. You go low. How many know in the kingdom to go high, you go low? Come on, say that with me. In the kingdom to go high, you go low. And so he says this, be completely humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, say every effort, to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. A couple of words here on this verse. Completely humble is an orientation of your heart that you view those around you, not at the expense of viewing yourself rightly in the grace of God, but you view others around you as better than yourself. How many know that is otherworldly? In fact, in ancient Greece and, the, and, and, and Greek culture, humility was not a virtue. How many know in the kingdom, it's sort of the octane in the tank that pushes the whole thing forward? How many know the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world don't function on the same plane and don't play by the same rules? Be completely humble. Consider others above yourselves and gentle. This is not some wimpy, this is not like me trying to do like push-ups with two of my kids. That's not gentle, that's just weak. I can't do it, I'm not strong enough. Gentle in the original is this, it's power in restraint. Say that with me, power in restraint. So be completely humble in your orientation and posture, consider others above yourself, and then be gentle. Yes, you're powerful, you have a choice, you have giftings, your abilities, you're smart, you're talented, whatever, but you're to walk in gentleness, that power and restraint, again, for the benefit of the other. And be patient, this is everyone's favorite word, long-suffering, let's move on. We're talking about how the gospel gets out of theory land and begins to get in embodied practice land. How many know an ethereal, ascribed to doctrinal dogma statement does no good if it doesn't filter into the everyday stuff of your and I's life? It's gotta change us. It's gotta mold us and shape us into a peculiar people. Bearing with one another in love, this dynamic word picture of carrying a load for the sake of love. Has anyone been there? Has anyone been carried when you needed someone to carry you? I need to see some heads. You've experienced the fruit of someone's humility, thinking of your needs above their own, your, their patience, when you didn't get all your stuff together fast enough, and that they were willing to bear with you in love. Paul's saying, this is the way toward fulfilling that high and holy calling. You go low. Say it with me, you go low. And then he says this, it's interesting, this is about, again, the body. It looks like it's gonna have to be two-part sermon because I'm having too much fun and I'm not rushing the back half. So you got to come back next week to hear part two. I just decided. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now what do you think? I'm not the smartest. What does every effort include? How many know that you don't have to tell someone to make every effort when it comes to the realm of self-preservation? How many know there's something that just goes off in us? <laughs> I mean, I will snap into attention. I'll make every effort. Are you tracking with me? There's realms and dynamics of our existence as people that no one has to tell you make every effort to do it because it's just intrinsic. It's built in us. But how many know the reason Paul has to say make every effort to the church to walk in unity in the spirit through the bond of peace is because it's not gonna be something that we, would, we would probably naturally want to choose, especially when you're dealing with the people around you. 
Can we talk? Can we be real this morning? He's saying, guys, to walk out the dynamics, to live into the reality of the gospel together, it is going to take all of your effort. How many know that there is terrible teaching going around in the name of grace that says, oh, it's all God and none me? I want you to know that's not a biblical idea. I want you to know grace not only pardons your past, it empowers your present and it pushes you towards God's glorious future. Grace is a divine caress, it's a kiss from heaven, it's an enablement to live and to pursue the effort that will be required for us to stay unified. How do I know? Because there are a billion things under the sun to disunify us, and we all said amen. And we've seen it in our nation in an unprecedented way. Those of you who are a little bit older, you can probably bear witness to it. And so he's saying, out there, you don't, there, there's no effort. I want to be right. I want to climb my own mountain, be my own boss, have my own agenda and will. But he says, no, 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 not in the family of God. In the family of God, the effort is not for your own propping up and your own possessions and professions and positions and titles. In the church, take all of that effort and throw it into the effort to pursue peace with each other. And I want you to know that this is the peace of Christ. It's not some ethereal, hippie, I hope everything turns out in the end. No, no, no. It says in Ephesians 2.14 that he himself is our peace. That Jesus, the prophetic promise of Isaiah 9 is that he would be a prince of peace. And so this peace is not you and I sitting in a room trying to come to a common understanding. It's you and I coming to a common glorious savior who can break in and not only bring us peace before God, Romans chapter five, verse one, but he also enables peace amongst the people of God. This is good preaching. This idea of make every effort is in, in the language, it's an intense an intent desire. How many know we will not walk in peace haphazardly or accidentally? Come on, you gotta hear that. How many of you are married? How many of you are married? Enough said, okay? You will not walk in peace in your home unless you set your heart to pursue that thing called peace. It's too easy to get hurt and offended, let alone by a stranger, but by those who know our own sin and brokenness and bondage. Beloved, the church needs to hear in this hour, grace does not just cover your stuff, it empowers you to live in a Christ-like, God-honoring, God-exalting manner. My grace will empower you to release and to pursue this thing called the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's this idea of the clasping of chains, this bond. I wrote this this morning on my way down. The Lord, I love when he just speaks to you on the way into preaching. We need to shift our focus. The effort and the energy we are pouring into preservation of ourselves to peace. We need to shift our focus from garnering and putting barriers around the positions that we hold and put all of that effort and energy into peace, pursuing the peace of Christ. Again, this is a deep weighty, dynamic reality. Things as they should be according to him, not according to me. That's peace, the presence of God. From possessions to peace, we gotta make every effort. I love it. Turn from evil and do good, Psalm 34, 14. And seek peace and pursue it. Undoubtedly, Paul was an Old Testament guru influenced by that in this passage. 
Are you tracking? How do we fulfill that holy calling to be a people who know Jesus, who are caught up in love and who are walking out the dynamics of what he's done for us on the cross and what he's doing for us amidst our ethnicity differences and our opinions and our, our, our age and our generational, that, that in the midst of all of that, the gospel creates one new humanity. And he's saying the way to fulfill that calling is actually to go low, to be humble, gentle, and patient, to bear with each other's short shortcomings and faults. And listen, we need to hear this in our church and in our land, that he's looking for a love that bears, that bears. And he's saying on the backside of this is pour that effort, man, into keeping the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Why is this bond of peace and unity so important in the church? Great question. He goes on to say in Ephesians, there is one body, and one spirit. Did you, do you believe that? that? I know it's hard and awkward because there's like 8,500 churches just within like a five square block mile or, or a square mile, I don't know. But did you know that we're actually not in competition with First Christian around the corner? We're not in competition with Santa Maria Foursquare on the, the northwest end of town. We're not in competition. There's one body, beloved, and we have divided along a billion other different lines, but I'm telling you, there's more in Christ that unites us than divides us if we'll seek it out and if we make every effort. He goes on to say, that he, Paul just goes off in this sort of worshiping rant. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. And how many know it's a glorious, eternal, unshakable hope? There's only one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and through all. Beloved, I'm here to tell you that there is only one, and the more we actually ready, readily believe that, we might actually believe he will empower us to stick it out with the body in the midst of all of our warts, wrinkles, and messiness, and we might be able to actually see God accomplish something in our day that he could never do in a thousand days by a people who are willing to stick it out, to pursue peace, to pursue the reality of our confession to become the reality of our practice. That's good preaching. My dad always says that. That's why I say it. I don't know why I say it. There's only one. Everyone say there's only one. Multi-ethnic body, one convicting, adopting, regenerating, sanctifying, unifying spirit. There's only one eternal, glorious, hope-filled future. There's only one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's only one faith, an apostolic gospel. And there's only one Father from whom all the family of God derives its name. And that's why he says, make every effort. You know how much is online? The very central tenets of our faith are on the line that we would pursue peace with one another. All the ones, the ones, there's like six or seven of them. He's saying, guys, the world's got to see that it's possible to walk in reconciled community. The world has to see that when the going gets tough, the, go, the tough don't get going. You look at each other and say, man, you are a knucklehead, but I'm going to bear with you in love. How many know, man, relationships are tough? And if you're looking for a perfect church, man, I hope the door does not hit you on the booty on the way out because this is not one of them. And there's no perfect pastors. I know it's a shock. 
But there is one body, and there is one spirit, and there is one hope, and there's one Lord, there's one faith, and there's one baptism. There's enough if we'll anchor and rally around him and walk in humility, gentleness, patience, and a love that bears for the, the benefit of the other, not ourselves. If we take that effort that we put towards our own well-being and we say, you know what, in the name of peace, I'm going to pursue what Christ has made available. I'm telling you, we will see God do things that he could not do otherwise through a people who are walking the spirit of unity and faith. Oh, yay, that's cool. Stink. Because like right now from verse 7 to 16 is the different sermon. So let's just wrap this up. And we'll pick it up next week because I love this next, uh, or two weeks. I love this passage a lot. Beloved, we are so excited for the journey that God has for us. And I want you to know, I want you to hear it from my, my heart this morning. We want you to go on the journey with us. But that journey of pursuing that high and holy calling, I want you to know, it, wherever you're at today, it, it calls you into all in yes. And maybe you're here like, you're like chatty, I don't have an all in yes today. I got hurt from the last church I was in. Anyone been there? I got hurt by the last leader or the last. I want you to know, healing comes not in the sitting in the, the, the muck and the messiness of sin, either that you committed or someone against you. Healing comes as you get under the, the cleansing, moving stream of the dynamic spirit of Christ. Healing does not come by sitting in your despondency and your despair Healing comes as you say, you know what? I can't, but he can, and he, in fact, did. And so healing comes in the pursuit of the true and the lovely and the excellent that God and Christ has made available. You need to hear me. Many of us think healing comes by just checking out. Healing does not come by sitting in your lazy boy watching endless TVs or Netflix. Healing only comes from the healer, and his name is Jesus. And that healing, remember we talked about in Ephesians 1.23, the healing of Jesus, yes, comes directly through him, but more likely it comes through the body of him that fills the earth with his glory in all ways. So if your remedy for overcoming your hurts is retracting from the church, you're actually retracting and moving away from the very entity on the earth that he wants to fill the earth with his glory and healing presence. You see, our mindset is jacked up. I'm going to back away from this thing because the church hurt or whatever. I want you to know the church does hurt people because people hurt people. We, I've hurt people. I hate it. I hate hurting people. I don't want to hurt people. And people have hurt me, and we've all been there. But I want you to know the way to healing is pressing into community, not running away. That's where healing comes. It comes in the middle of the camp. It comes in the middle of his heart, and it comes when we together gather around one Lord, one faith, one body, one spirit, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And this is not some plastic band-aid approach to peace. I want you to know the peace of God is a person. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is meant to dwell richly among every single believer as we gather together. But it's going to take effort. Someone say, it's going to take effort. But the beautiful thing about the effort it requires is just that grace empowers effort. 
empowers us. Empowers us. It empowers us. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you and I have received. Tip the scales. Let your profession increasingly become the practice of your life. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Every effort. Maybe you're sitting here today, you're like, dude, I don't know anything about peace. We certainly see a world that seemingly doesn't know anything about a peace. Any of you watch the news or read the newspaper or whatever? And I want you to know you can't know peace without knowing and having an encounter with the Prince of Peace. That even as you and I, from the womb, from the womb, we are at odds and enmity, Colossians chapter 1, Romans chapter 8, with God. We're, we're rebels. I want you to know today you can experience personal peace by encountering the Prince of Peace. That that warring in your heart to call the shots, that warring in your heart that says, at the expense of everything and everyone else, I'm going to get mine. The warring of your heart that there can be victory in that war today through Jesus Christ. That you feel condemned. You don't have a sense of well-being or wholeness. You don't have a sense of vibrancy in your life. I want you to know you can today through the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the God that spoke a word on a boat while he was sleeping and had to be awoken. And the God that spoke peace over the storm can speak peace over the storm of your heart. That you can actually have peace with God. You don't have to be bound in your shame and your condemnation. You can have tangible peace on the inside today. Maybe your mind, maybe you've struggled with, with depression, anxiety, or just uh, your, your mind can't shut off and it plays the reels of your past and your mistakes and, and your mind is not at peace. I want you to know that he is able to keep in perfect peace those who shift their focus and turn it toward him. Amen. Isaiah 26. Yes, you can experience peace of your mind. That if you're in Christ, he actually wants to give you the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16. So you can have peace in your heart. You can have peace in your head. And I'm telling you, beloved, this one's really, really hard, but it's possible. You can have peace in your hands and through your relationships, symbolically. I want you to know that you can experience peace on the inside, in your head, and through your hands, through Jesus Christ. That you and I are not just victims to our surroundings, we're not just blown and tossed by the, the highest voice or the, the most uh, scary alarm or the, the biggest fear or the, the most gnarly anxiety. I want you to know you and I are not meant to be swayed. We're meant to be anchored to peace. And his name is Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you, have, you, don't have a, you have a relationship that is jacked up. Anyone been there? And maybe instead of throwing in the towel, maybe it's worth a phone call. Now, if there's issues of abuse, do not mishear me. You can forgive in your heart, but forgiveness does not equate a demand to go be reconciled, become best friends with those who hurt you. Do you hear me? We hear you, Pastor Chad. Thank you. But I want you to know you can begin a journey today 
peace, even in the most strained friendship relationship, even amongst maybe someone in this room with whom you are at odds with. If he commands us to make every effort to pursue peace, I have to believe he will empower us to do it. He will empower us to do it. And this is not a peace that we just, we bump our heads together for endless meetings and endless hours and endless days. How can we come to an agreement? I want you to know, it's been settled, Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20, that through the blood of Jesus, peace is now a cosmic reality available to all who will put their trust and their faith and hope in Jesus. He has, let's say it with me, he has made peace through his blood. Jesus, it is a fact. Someone say, that's a fact. Peace is a fact and a reality that Christ has made available. It's up to you and I to both receive, cherish, and then pursue it. Receive, cherish, and pursue. How do you need to respond today? How do you need to respond? Just ask the Lord right where you're at. Grab your smartphone, grab a piece of paper. How do you need to respond? Write it down. Write it down. Think about it. Holy Spirit, how do I need to respond to fulfill this high and holy calling, to know you, to love you with all my heart, and to make disciples, to become like you is our calling. You told me, Jesus, to go up. I gotta go low. Ask him right now, what is your response today in light of his word from Ephesians 4? How then shall we live? Maybe it's confessing even now, Jesus, I don't have peace with you. And you just, you confess your sins, your rebellion, your desire to rule your own life. And you say, Jesus, I want peace once and for all. I trust you. I give you the control. Peace of mind. Jesus, my mind is so, it's a wreck. But you said you can give me your mind. And Jesus, I want to be renewed in my mind. He can do that. He can do that today. Or Jesus, I don't have peace with my family or my friend or my colleague, and but, but Lord, I, I want it. I want it. I want to pursue peace, wholeness, well-being, life as you designed it to be lived is the idea of peace. We receive it, we cherish it, and we pursue it. If that hits you in some way, could you just stand where you're at? In any capacity, this is the closing prayer. You say, Chatty, I, I, I want to pursue this thing. Peace. Awesome. Anybody else? You just say, this, is, this message is for me today. I want to grow in peace. I want to pursue it. I want to be humble and gentle and patient. I want to, I want to have a love that bears the pain and the hurts of others. Thank you, Lord. I love verse seven, it says, but to each one of us, grace has been given. Say that with me, grace has been given. Grace has been given for all of this. Grace has been given. And grace is a all of us reality, but the spirit comes and he appropriates it right to your point of need. How many know we have a God that zeroes in? <laughs> He locates us, he zeroes in, and he applies grace where it's most desperately needed. 
And so right now, just say, Jesus, I receive that grace. I receive your provision, your power to walk in this unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I let, I let it go. Just say, Lord, I let it go. My, my, my warring heart and mind, and I'm so exhausted. And the Lord says, I just want you to fall into my arms this morning. I'm your peace. I love it. He himself is our peace. Amen. The fruit of his spirit is peace. Through the grace of God, we have peace with God. It's his doing. We receive it this morning. And then say, Jesus, I, I'm going to cherish this peace. I'm going to walk in peace. I'm not just going to receive it once. I'm gonna, that's going to be my aim is to walk in this sense of living out my calling together with my brothers and sisters through humility, gentleness, patience, and a bearing with others' love. I'm going to cherish it. And then maybe today, maybe most pointedly, Lord, I'm going to pursue peace. It says in Romans 12, 17, that as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And Lord, we thank you that we can do only so much, but you are the God of resurrection. You can look on dead things and they can come back to life. And so Lord, we set our hearts to pursue peace with you, living with peace within our hearts and minds and peace with those around us. And to that end, we believe you will enable us to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to what? His glorious power that's what? At work within us. To him be the glory in the church throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen.